Hello, thanks for tuning in to Hexagon Radio. I'm Jack Williams, the Director of Industry and Portfolio Marketing for Hexagon Safety, Infrastructure, and Geospatial Division. And today I'll be your host. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about cooperation and ultimately collaboration, specifically real-time cross-organization and cross-functional collaboration. And what better way to introduce this topic than to weave in sports? Uh, We're just coming off the Olympic Games in Tokyo, which were delayed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And two other recent events have kind of highlighted the perils of cooperation in my mind. First, the recent NCAA football conference realignment in the southeastern United States, which some say is forced cooperation that is killing the sport and the attempt to create a European-wide soccer league and the resulting pushback from the EPL League and others who said forced cooperation would kill the longstanding regional leagues like the English Premier League. If anything, I think there's a valuable lesson to be learned from the shifting landscape of sports leagues by city leaders, executives, non-government agencies who are contemplating cooperation initiatives, and that is money, short-term thinking, and politics, which can doom the most well-intentioned initiatives before they even get off the ground. On the other hand, what we call true collaboration, which is where mutual value is provided to all participants, can be a game changer. With me to provide their insights on the topic are Chris Clem, product manager, and Mike Baker, product manager, both for Hexagon Safety Infrastructure and Geospatial Division. Welcome to the show, Chris and Mike. Hi, Jack. Happy to be here. And I think this is a great topic that needs to be discussed. Finding new ways to communicate and share information is hugely important to the success, I'd say, of any organization. And it's why I believe collaboration should really be utilized whenever possible to help build real strategies between organizations. Hey, Jack. Like Chris, I'm I'm glad to be here and ready for an interesting discussion. Great, guys. And um, pleasure to have you. And I, I, I enjoy talking to both of you. So let's get underway. So, guys, when we talk about cooperation, um, and, and I'm talking cooperation uh, versus collaboration, um, I do want to talk on some of the perils of short-term thinking, not playing the long game. And like some of the examples I gave from NCAA football or the English Premier League, it's not clear that playing the long game, so to speak, has the potential to invite backlash. When we apply that logic to the business and technology world, What do you think are some of the potential hazards of not thinking things through when cooperation or data sharing or data interoperability initiatives are introduced? Meaning when cities or organizations think about, hey, let's all cooperate, let's uh, or some entity says, hey, we all need to play ball and cooperate and do what's best for everybody. So we're going to enact a data sharing initiative or enact some interoperability initiative. What are some of the reasons that while on the surface, these are well-intentioned ideas, the short-term thinking, the politics and the greed sometimes getting get in the way and make these projects unsuccessful? Chris, do you have any thoughts on that? I do. I, I, you know, I think, I think the biggest obstacle I see is lack of buy-in from one or more of the stakeholders. If, if a stakeholder doesn't see the value in the collaboration product, you know, it's really um, what's in it for me or what's in it for us attitude. And when that develops, you know, they really the interest and the motivation 
for that stakeholder organization is not there. And, and, and that can really defeat the overriding goals of the project. And, and I think the other, the other thing I see that uh, sometimes makes these things unsuccessful is fear plays a role. And the fear that one stakeholder has more power in the partnership. Um, and, and when I say power, decision-making power. Uh, are my decisions being heard? Do they hold as much value as the, as the you know, opinions and decisions of, of the other partners? Chris, I definitely uh, relate to that, that, that I feel like, um, you know, kind of bringing back the, the sports analogy, you know, typically when a group of organizations or entities get together, like, let's say, to form a league, sometimes on the surface, everybody acts as, as if they're, you know, acting in everybody's uh, best interest. But usually it's just one or two entities that have the power <laughs> and, uh, and gain most of the value from the relationship. And uh, I can definitely see how that happens in the, in the business and technology world, where you have a you know sort of a cooperative or collaborative type of project or initiative introduced, but you know in the end it's it's usually one or two agencies or one or two organizations that end up getting all the value, and uh, the others uh, just basically being forced to cooperate. Uh, so that definitely resonates. Mike, do you have anything to add to that? Sure. So I think one of the things that we're seeing today is that the systems that we're trying to integrate and collaborate on are becoming very complex and very dynamic, right? And so you have all these parts that intersect with each other and they have relationships, but it really requires a different approach. Uh, like Chris said, you have to have buy-in, but what, we, what at least what I typically see happening is that we really wait until the end to try to fit everything together. And then what happens by not doing it at the beginning or collaborating up front, then we wind up seeing like a, a cost run over. Uh, we don't seem to realize it'd be cheaper to do our collaboration up front. And so for me, I think it's still a little bit of not, a, not only what Chris mentioned, but also just kind of a, a technology side of how to move data from these different systems, uh, have have them interact with one another, but then also kind of do all that up front uh, versus waiting till the end of the project and, and realizing that, you know, information got left out or or things were in the wrong format. So for me, that's that's another key element. Yeah, I like that, Mike, just sort of laying the ground rules and, and doing some upfront planning on how things are going to work. What's what's the true intention, which makes a nice segue um, to sort of my next question, which is, you know, when it comes to these data sharing initiatives, uh, either at a citywide level or between organizations or heck, even between uh, a larger entity and in, in between departments uh, within the same company or organization, when we say, hey, let's let's cooperate, really the goal should be let's collaborate. You know, no matter what the end game is to truly be what I call collaborative as opposed to just cooperative um, stakeholders or players, if you will, don't just need to be able to see data or information for some of the other players. They need to be able to actively do something with that data and with others. Um, so, you know, take action on it. And Chris, I'd love to, to hear your thoughts on the differences between what I'll call traditional cooperation, aka forced cooperation, and true collaboration. Uh, Chris, can you give me a little thoughts on, on the differences between those two? Yeah, sure. And, and I, I think it's it's like you said, cooperation 
sometimes is forced. And I think you, that the example you gave in the sports of the NCAA and the English Premier Leagues, that, that's an example. Um, and, and like Mike said, you know, to kind of avoid that, you need to lay that groundwork up front. You need to lay out the goals and the parameters uh, that everybody understands. And that sets you up for some true collaboration. Every stakeholder has to work together to meet common goals. Uh, and that's how success can be measured. You can't measure success how an individual organization performs. It has to be the outcome of all of the organizations, the collaborative outcome. Hey, Chris, you want to sign up to be the president of the NCAA? Because I think you hit the nail on the head there. Mike, I'll pose the same question back to you. Um, how do you how is collaboration different from uh, quote unquote cooperation? Yeah, so I think we'll start with how they're alike, right? So they're alike in that you wind up having two or more people, two or more organizations, and, and they're going to work together to achieve a common goal. What I see with cooperation is oftentimes it falls into a coordinated response. And by that, what I mean is that the activities get siloed. And so each organization kind of goes off and does their own thing. And then the pieces come together in. It's kind of like when our kids do school projects, the teacher puts them in a group. But ultimately what happens is each each child winds up doing their own little piece and then you fit it together at the end and, and you wind up with like a, the picture of the horse being three times bigger than the picture of the barn. Right. And so in this coordinated approach, we just wait till the end to fit it together, whereas in a collaborative approach or with collaboration, what we wind up seeing is the activities are kind of done together, not separately. And that usually this, I'm going to call it this connection between these activities, oftentimes is very fluid and very dynamic. Going back to what I mentioned earlier about these systems being very complex, in a cooperative or coordinated approach, everybody goes off and does things at the end. And when they come when they come back at the end, they realize things don't really fit together. Whereas if they collaborated up front, uh, as things change, uh, the project can change with it. So to me, even though it might be a subtle difference, to me, it's it's a much uh, it's not subtle at all that it, it's the working together in a fluid uh, dynamic environment versus going off and doing your own silo thing and then coming back in the end and hoping it all fits together. Yeah, Mike, that's, that's a great insight. I like the way you, you put that. It's it's really the ability to be dynamic and fluid and, and do your work up front as opposed to trying to piecemeal all the uh, pieces together at the end. I've, I've been involved in many school projects because uh, as I recently just went back and uh, you're right. So everybody goes off, does their own piece. And then at the end, you try to take together, um, you know, five different pieces from five different people and and stitch them together and make it sound like a cohesive strategy or plan or, or output. And it, it's tough. So uh, excellent insight. So let's let's take a quick pivot and um, jump to another important uh, point uh, when discussing, you know, NCAA football, <laughs> soccer or uh, football to our European colleagues, trust and leadership. And, you know, something so ingrained, and, and, and I'm totally on board with this in the American culture, is college football. It evokes passion amongst fans. There's the beautiful pageantry. There used to be more of the regional rivalries, uh, thanks to, uh, but thanks to conference realignment, that, that's kind of uh, going away to some degree. 
it's perplexing that it all might go away due to what I would call lack of leadership and selfish intentions, chasing the dollars, the short-term thinking, and not truly caring about your ultimate constituents or stakeholders. And in the case of sports, it's the fans. It'd be great if the leaders at the top, the conference commissioners or NCAA, you know, the, the, the organization themselves, the president, to work together and save the sport we all know and love, where the little guy has a chance, where everybody gets a slice of the pie, so to speak, and fans can truly enjoy what I believe is America's true pastime. When it comes to, you know, things like data sharing initiatives, interoperability, you know, collaborative uh, initiatives, to me, uh, it takes a strong reason group of leaders who trust each other, um, who focus on the big picture and who are ultimately serving their constituents. In this case, let's view it as citizens and doing what's best for the community. And just as in sports, you can't have trust without good leadership. And sometimes these initiatives uh, really break down, not due to what I would call some of the technical challenges, but due to, let's say, political challenges and the differences between agencies, departments, other organizations and other groups. All these different stakeholders might have different views and it takes a level of trust, leadership and a foundation that can kind of help guide and provide those parameters, those swimming lanes, if you will, where trust and and ultimately a uh, collaborative environment can can thrive. So, uh, you know, Mike, would you say that that's accurate when it comes to stakeholders and trust and leadership and some of the politics at play? I mean, how important is this in a collaborative, a true collaborative environment? Oh, I think it's critically important. If we go back to the whole idea of uh, uh, coordination and cooperation, right? We go back to that example of where we go off and we work on our silos, we work on our individual pieces, we automatically create distrust, we automatically create fear because we're wondering if the other if the other group is getting their work done, right? Jack, you know, how many times has your child been in a, a school project and they're working on their part and you're sitting there wanting to call the other parent to make sure their child's getting their part done, right? And so <laughs> When we go to this whole idea of, of cooperation and coordination, it, it really automatically creates this idea of mistrust, right? And you miss these, you miss these insights. However, when you move to a collaboration where the team is working in unity, right? Everyone has a, an impact on the whole and the decisions are being made kind of as a, as a group looking at all things. Now, I will say it, it does require discipline and it requires trust, but you don't really have as many bottlenecks uh, through the process and, and you really decrease the possibility for adjustments that have to be made further on. So, so to me, the whole idea of trust is, is critical in a collaborative environment. Yeah, I, great points, Mike. I mean, Chris, what are your thoughts on, on trust and leadership and, and how important it is in a collaborative environment? I, I think what Mike said is very true. Uh, trust is so important. And I think trust needs to be developed from the very beginning of a collaboration project. And so what does that mean? It means that stakeholders need to be able to speak their minds and not only speak their minds, but listen to the other stakeholders. Everybody involved needs to have the time and space to air their views, speak their minds without fear you know, of being 
ch- chastised or, or, or not listened to. And I think that is what uh, will foster real collaboration. Totally agree, Chris. And um, like I said, I, it, it, it analogizes with the sports world <laughs> almost to a T. Um, and so good leadership, long-term thinking, um, trust, setting those parameters in place and, and building some checks and balances in, I think is, is perfect. Um, so that's good stuff. So I kind of alluded to it in the previous uh, question, um, but I'm going to talk about it. Another thing that we think about when uh, building a collaborative environment, rolling out a data sharing smart city project or some sort of uh, regional uh, data sharing program um, are the barriers, you know, what keep what makes this challenging? You know, it sounds good on the surface. You feel like you read news articles or have even over the past 10 to 15 years about um, all these data sharing interoperability initiatives. And I think people just assume a lot of this stuff happens, especially, I would say, at the government level. Um, from the technology side, I look at it, you got two kind of main groups of barriers. One's like the technology barriers, which is uh, not trivial at all, like integrating to different systems of record that each entity or organization participating might have, integrating with the plethora of IoT devices, sensors out there um, that are just uh, coming on board more and more each day, the different applications. And then I got a second group of barriers, which are the people barriers, um, which is things like politics over data ownership, What's the way in which we're going to exchange data? What's the format? Under what rules can we do something? If we want to change the way we're doing things, do I have to go back to some central entity and get their approval? Um, Those people barriers or political barriers are also very important. And um, what happens is these barriers get in the way and doom projects before they start. I can't tell you how many project charters I've seen where you get a group of of stakeholders that want to do something really good and then ultimately it's doomed by political data ownership or who's sharing what who owns what when can they do why can they why are they in charge what's what's the deal and you know it never gets off the ground or agreeing on a technical standard or schema on how they want to share data you know most most of these initiatives while well intentions never make it past the implementation phase chris can you talk to me about these barriers and um, how they can affect collaboration the way you see it? You know, what are some of the pitfalls to look out for if, if you're an agency, a customer, or organization, you know, somebody who's looking to enact a collaborative environment? What are some of these pitfalls? Because they're out there. What should they be looking for? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, as you said, there, there still are technical barriers to sharing data. When you're pulling data together, it's from many different systems of records. It's in many different formats. Um, and while you know there's been great progress developing open exchange formats, many of these systems are still proprietary and, and today don't don't support those open standards. So therefore, when you ha- when you're trying to share data across multiple organizations, there will there'll be custom interfaces that need to be designed and developed, and that can take time. Um, And I think, you know, to help solve some of those technical barriers, it's very important that the tools, the technology you're using is versatile. It has a, you know, you need to have a powerful business rules engine that can integrate, uh, transform and integrate that data to solve some of these complex 
challenges. Also, you know, being cloud native where it's, you know, you're not reaching, you don't have to reach on-prem into these systems. The data is available uh, in the cloud is obviously another benefit. But if I think of, of other barriers to data uh, sharing, what we're seeing, unfortunately, is many organizations still today have a don't share data approach. And to, the, and to them, to them, this is often the easiest way to mitigate any real or perceived risk. I don't want to be I don't want to be responsible if the data is wrong or inaccurate or sensitive. So I simply won't share it. Uh, and this, of course, leads to data hoarding and unnecessary limitations on data collaboration. So we need to change that mindset. We need to change that culture from a don't share data to a share data unless. And with that mindset, organizations will start to focus on how to satisfy those regulatory requirements and those data protection standards. Chris, I think you nailed it on the head. The don't share data mindset <laughs> is prevalent in sports just as well. It's it's the norm to not share data, to um, not act in a truly collaborative uh, way. And I think you know, from a technology uh, point of view, when looking at uh, data sharing initiatives in that realm, while you do have political issues, you do need leadership, you do need trust, it would be nice to have foundational platforms that are neutral in a way that do facilitate the trust and collaborate, give you the tools, that foundation, the swimming lanes, so that everybody has confidence that, you know, we're setting people up for success. Ultimately, it does come down to people and personalities to some degree. But uh, having a nice foundational technology that allows you to get out of that don't share mindset and helps encourage, but yet st still give people the confidence that everything's secure, the, you, you're in control of your data, when you want to share it, how you want to share it, and you can change that. And no one single central entity is sort of uh, demanding or controlling the whole environment. So uh, excellent points. I'm going to steal that, Chris, <laughs> in future conversations. I really like that. Mike, do you agree uh, with, with these barriers, the techn technological and political barriers? you have any thoughts you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I definitely agree. You know, I think one of the things that, that we have done in the past as technologists, we say, well, you know, standards will just solve the problems. But, you know, the thing about standards is there's so many of them, right? Uh, the other thing is, is, is going back to your analogy of football, you know, every, you know, every college team will run their own offensive scheme, right? So each one of them has a different standard, if you will. Uh, Alabama does it better than most, but, you know, each, and oftentimes you can even tell the conference based upon what offense is run. So this whole idea of that, you know, uh, a standard is going to solve everyone's problems you know, I think that we just see standards kind of limiting. People are going to run or choose what works best for their system. And so having something that will be able to cut through these technical barriers, uh, I think is a requirement, but able to cut through it and still have uh, the entities trust that their data is going to be held to the highest uh, compliant standard they have, that that data is going to be uh, shared in a way that that they want to be shared, I think is is going to be is going to be critically important. Yeah, I agree, Mike. And um, you know, to kind of bring all this together, or to uh, don't laugh here, to hit a home run, <laughs> you need that right technology in place. You need that right foundation, 
in place that uh, really can help overcome these technical barriers and these political data sharing, data ownership barriers in order to get a collaboration project or data sharing initiative or smart city uh, cooperative initiative off the ground. You need the right technology in place. And that's that's where I would say Hexagon's new Hexagon Connect platform and its benefits really come into play. This, uh, you know, Hexagon Connect, the, the cloud native collaborative workspace where no single entity can boss other people around. Everybody gets mutual value. You know, Chris, Mike, Mike, we'll start with you. Can you tell me a little bit first about what Hexagon Connect is and what makes it valuable for collaboration? Sure. So, you know, it's a it's a cloud based collaborative platform. And I know those those words are doesn't give a lot of insight. But but for me, with the transportation utility background, you know, I, I see a, a common unified picture of any situation via the map, but then also the ability just to be able to send a chat maybe to someone who's in a different department within my organization or to create what we refer to as a collaborative channel where we may discuss something that that may be going on, maybe a particular piece of equipment or asset needs to be replaced. And so it's really this ability to bring the data in from maybe disparate systems and give us that common operating view. And then from there, uh, work to resolve any any problems or incidents that we may see that arise. Chris, would you can you maybe expound upon, you know, your thoughts on, on Hexagon Connect, you know, for, for those out there who might not know what it is and maybe build off what Mike said and. Yeah. And maybe what what makes it valuable? What what's the special sauce that really makes it stick out in terms of helping collaborative projects and initiatives? What makes it valuable? Yeah. So I, when we when we sat down to design Hexagon Connect, what we put first and foremost was was bringing people together. So I know a lot of software obviously needs to to focus on the technical challenges, but I think you have to take a step back and say, you know, how can we bring people together. And so from the from the ground up, it it's been designed to have a collaboration space where you can easily reach out to other organizations, invite other organizations to that channel that uh, Mike talked about and easily communicate, post uh, information, post videos, post chat and, and have that collaborative experience. And I think the the other piece of um, Hexagon Connect that's very important is on the back end, we have this very powerful rules-based integration engine. And we talked about the technical challenges of bringing all these different types of data together. Well, that engine is very powerful and it's got a very easy to use interface to make it a lot easier for end users to connect up to these other data sources and bring those data sources together. And then finally, what Mike started with, it's cloud-based. And so that really helps. You think about you know, being able to get that information out to a platform that everybody can access. And so now it's much easier to invite people to share data, et cetera. Uh, excellent, guys. And just to maybe summarize what, what I heard, uh, I mean, sounds like Connect gives you the ability, first off, to just integrate with different types of systems from different organizations, heck, even the different systems or applications and devices within an or organization, bring all that data in into a, a unified view, sort of an operational picture, allow you to you know, very easily interact and see what's going on with everybody who's participating in that space. And not only view that data, but 
when situations arise, be it major emergencies or crises or even you know small day-to-day things where uh, sharing data, uh, giving a heads up or um, just helping other people be more efficient, you know, you can actually act on that and, and then resolve a, an issue or share information and really create a, a truly collaborative environment. I mean, man, it, it sounds very exciting. And I, I can just imagine all the different things you can do with that. And maybe that's a good way to to talk about Hexagon Connect. Um, Mike, can you give me a couple examples of how you've seen Hexagon Connect used? That would be uh, a good uh, use case, if you will, be it private sector, public se- sector, with NGOs, uh, whatever the case may be. Because I, you know, I can see how something like Connect could be applied in multiple industries. And uh, first off, can you confirm that that's correct? And second, you know, maybe give me an example or two of of how you see or how you have seen Hexagon Connect be used? Sure, and, and you're absolutely right. You have use cases across all industries. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I've worked a lot with the transportation and utility industry, so I'll just start in the transportation one. You know, right now, uh, road construction sites, we have an average of about 125 deaths per year uh, due to uh, workers at those construction sites. And so for me, one of great use cases for Connect is to set up a, a safe construction zone, right? The, to have a safe construction zone, you need to have a, a kind of some thought where that work zone gets laid out. We're going to bring in temporary traffic control devices, such as, you know, as cameras and traffic counters, uh, radar. And so Connect can be used to monitor those construction zones. And then since those construction zones move, uh, Connect just goes ahead and and monitors that moving construction site. And by having it or by being able to collaborate with other organizations uh, such as, you know, state police, local police, we can actually make these construction zones much safer and try to realize the zero fatality Uh, goals that many of our uh, DOTs have. And so for me in the transportation space, the safe construction zones would be a great use case for Connect, but then also it saves lives and uh, really would make those zones safer safer for both the worker as well as, as the driver. You know, if we move over into utilities, there's just so many opportunities where utilities could share their construction projects, uh, their unplanned events. You know, right now, uh, one of the big initiatives uh, across the country is getting fiber to areas that that maybe don't have access to high-speed internet. Well, just being able to be to to monitor uh, where you may have incidents where that fiber gets cut. They're putting new fiber in my neighborhood, and they've cut my internet twice in the last ten days, and, and so. Just being able to use it as a way of seeing what's going on, where these construction or this new fiber is being placed. And then if there is a fiber cut, just kind of managing the crew of, of knowing when they get there and when the service might be uh, back for our, our citizens. But to me, the list is endless and we could go on and on in the transportation and utility space on use cases for Connect. So, Mike, um, you know, one of the things you, you mentioned there, so uh, in the transportation space, would you say 
uh, some of the value in Connect is that environment, uh, especially let's take construction zones, is very fluid, right? It's very dynamic. They're moving every day. It's not sort of a what I would call a static setup, if you will. And it sounds like a lot of the value in Connect and, and that type of environment is, A, you got good situational awareness. You're able to share that information out and collaborate. But B, just due to the architecture behind the scenes, it can shift and lift and and sort of move as the zone moves. And probably some of those cloud native capabilities um, really help out there. Would you say that's a fair statement? Oh, yeah, I think that's definitely a a fair statement in in that, uh, you know, if you think about a a paving down an interstate, you know, it's going to move, move along once the uh, sections get done. But the great thing about Connect is it's very dynamic. You don't necessarily have to stop and set up a new one. If the sensors move, they go. Connect realizes that just just keeps processing the telemetry that comes in. Oh, I, I can see a lot of use cases for that. Special events, um, homeland security operations, where they you know they go around and, and monitor you know large events and, and gatherings. So excellent stuff, Mike. Hey, Chris, how about any? Use case examples for you and, and Hexagon Connect, where where it's been used, or some 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 great use cases uh, in any industry. Why don't you go ahead and provide your thoughts? So um, let me focus on public safety. And, and if you think about you know a city or a region, any time that there is a threat, a major threat, all of the different agencies. So whether that threat is a train derailment, a bomb threat, a natural disaster like a hurricane. There are all of these numerous agencies that need to efficiently work together, uh, share data to mitigate risks, resolve situations. And I think Hexagon Connect really provides the platform to do that. With Hexagon Connect, they can, you know, can, they can share their incident data, what incidents are going on right now. They can share their resources, where are their units, see everything in real time it share their assets you know where are my major assets my hospitals my train stations uh any information coming in from alarms and sensors all of that information gets brought in and then they can visualize that data on a common operational picture providing shared awareness across all the public safety agencies and so obviously that's very powerful but uh, that's the data side of it. And the data side of it is really just one part of the solution. Then the other part is, given this common operational picture and all of this data coming in, how do we collaborate? How do we task? How do we make sure you know everybody's doing their job? And so the, the Hexagon Connect provides that channel to allow them to post the information, to communicate when certain things are done, um, and, and work together, really, to resolve the threat. Excellent points, guys. And um you know, it's it's been great talking to you and those those use cases. I mean, like I said, I could I could sit here and think of uh, other industries where uh, something like Connect that provides that collaborative foundation to that solves those technical and political barriers uh, when it comes to data sharing and then acting on that data uh, could apply. So I, I really uh, appreciate the time and going back to some of the sports examples I laid out at the top of the program. I believe looking at well-intentioned initiatives, you know, let's say forming a conference in NCAA football, <clears throat> Big 12, you know, while they start out as well-intentioned initiatives where everybody's working together, they can go by the wayside due to political barriers and not having that proper foundation that encourages trust and collaboration and, you know, ultimately what happens is uh, the people who suffer the most are the fans in the sports world or, 
in the public sector world, your citizens and community. And so, you know, I, I think while well-intentioned, sometimes we, we can learn and sports can learn from the technology side and the technology side can learn from the sports side and and really try to get back to more of a, a trusting, teamwork-driven, collaborative environment. So thanks again. I appreciate it. And hopefully we will uh, – We'll get there on the football and uh, or American football and 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 uh, soccer or European football uh, sports realm soon. Chris and Mike, how about you? Do you guys have any uh, additional thoughts you guys would like to share before we wrap up, Chris? Well, you, maybe just one. I, I mean, one area that we're investing a lot of time and research is artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, and these technologies can actually be very helpful when collaborating and sharing data. You know, one issue with with data sharing today is there's so much of it, right? There's data being created by all these sensors, social media, and a lot of it's unstructured. So we're looking at using AI to be able to quickly extract pertinent pertinent information from large narratives so you you get information at a glance. But really, I think that's a topic all to itself. So so maybe a good topic for another podcast. Hey, I like that, Chris. Anytime I can get you, and Mike, on uh, on a, on a podcast, I will enjoy it. So I will take you up on that, uh, Mike. Uh, anything you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, and I guess mine is, you know, Chris does a great job, and and so I think mine maybe be a little bit more uh, philosophical, right? And you know, we think about sports, we think about individual sports, and we think about team sports. But you know, the world in which we live in it's a team sport, right? I mean, it, it takes these organizations to collaborate with each other to, to solve our problems. And, and so, you know, I think for Connect gives a, a great platform for us to support that dynamic and flexible collaboration that, that's really needed. And so I'm really excited about the future of Connect, not just some of the things that, that Chris mentioned, but other things that we have on, on the roadmap. And so I'm anxious to see where all we can take it. Yeah, Mike, I like that inspirational vibe there. Uh, you know, and, and I will say this. I mean, it sounds like something like Connect. We, we talk in the details of, of technical challenges and stuff. But isn't it really just about bringing people and data together, right? And uh, through that, by, by laying the foundation, I mean, yes, we as human beings still have to, to finish it out, right? But Connect just at least provides that platform, that space, that uh, – ultimately can bring people and data together. And uh, I look forward to talking to you guys more about it. Um, This has been a great conversation and I appreciate you both joining and for all of you out there listening. um, I look forward to talking to both you two again on maybe a future episode. Thanks for tuning in to Hexagon Radio. For more great stories and podcasts, visit hxgnspotlight.com.